0: Our passage today is coming from the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And we're going to be looking at the first chapter, just two verses, chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. So I invite you to follow along in your own personal Bible or on the screens as I read the word aloud. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite TV shows I like to watch is one called Undercover Boss. Has anybody here watched Undercover Boss before? It is hilarious at times. Also, it's kind of cringeworthy at times, too. But the premise of the show is that usually a CEO of a larger company takes a break from the corporate world and, and board meetings and, and financial reports and puts on just the typical average Joe worker outfit, outfit and works an entry-level job at his or her business, Okay. To see what it's like to be somebody that's paid by the hour, that's doing all the grunt work of his or her business that they manage and run. And a lot of times they learn things that are very, very eye-opening. Some of the cringe-worthy moments are when those lower-level entry job folks are working away and they're having a bad day. And then they get mad about the decisions that the CEO and the board makes and complains about them to the CEO right there. And they don't even know that's the CEO they're complaining to. And you're like, oh, this is going to be hard when it's revealed That's the CEO. Or even more uh, cringeworthy is when CEOs see things that are going on that are not proper. There was one time there was a CEO of a restaurant chain that went and worked as a busboy at one of his restaurants and saw how that particular restaurant manager just degraded his employees. It was horrible. He was so upset he cried one day when he got off his shift and he was so angry about the treatment of his employees by this restaurant manager. But see, the employees never knew that was the CEO, the undercover boss. That's the whole premise of the show. And usually at the end when they do the revealings, you know, and usually ends on a happy note, usually the CEO gets to know some of the the entry-level workers and their struggles and will help them out with a scholarship or with a bonus or a promotion or things like that. And usually, you know, not-so-good supervisors may get the can. and may be shown the door because of how they treated the employees. So the undercover boss episode, it made me think though. When we sometimes in our lives, you know, would we would we understand or would we recognize God if He walked up to us and stared us straight in the face? Would we recognize God? What does God physically look like? I know most of us have an image. Somewhere along our life, we have seen a painting, seen a picture of somebody trying to depict what God would physically look like. And so if we would sit for a moment and think, what does God look like? There's probably an image that pops up in your head. For me, it's usually the image that would look more like the Greek god Zeus, you know, with the really long gray hair, muscular build type of guy, That's kind of the image that somehow just pops in my head, even though there's been no physical description of what God would look like in Scripture. But along the way, people's interpretations is what we usually hold on to, is what God would physically look like. But if God was just walking on the street, I don't know if we would really recognize who He physically would look like. And you know, this passage here where it talks about being made in the image of God, this is kind of key for our faith. We're in the middle of a series that we started last week of this I believe, this I believe. And what we're doing is we're looking at key parts of our faith and what we believe and how that shapes us. And I said last week, before we even know what we believe, we've got to know God first, right? We've got to have a relationship with God so that if we did see him walking down the street, we might could pick him out, right? See, those employees didn't have a relationship with the CEO. They didn't even see the picture of the CEO. So they didn't know they were working with the CEO in that TV show. But as Christians, I feel like we should be able to pinpoint the moments where we see God in our lives. And that's a core thing in our, in our beliefs. So, here we're looking at the image of God. And what does God look like? If you go back, there's a reason why there's really no descriptors of like a physical image of God in the Bible. That's, that's on purpose. There's a reason for that. If you go back and you read in the Old Testament, God's really big about speaking against His followers creating statues, right? But His followers always wanted to create an image of something to worship, a statue or something to make. But He said, no, 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 you will not do that. I'm even above and beyond what you can create. You shall make no idols and no statues Even of Him. And you see, back when the earlier followers of God were wandering around, not quite settled down yet, they would come in contact with different people in different cultures. Well, all those people in different cultures would would make statues and worship the statues of their God. So it was really hard for God's followers to be like, Look, we're running into all these other beliefs... And they have statues of their gods, but yet we don't have one of you. And God said, no, that's okay. I don't need one. I'm above and beyond that. The closest thing they had as they were wandering around before the temple was built, and even when the temple was built, was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was something physical God's early followers had that would hold the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant was a big container with long poles on it that only the Levites, the people of the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe, they were the only group that could touch it. And they would carry that through as they wandered around finding their homeland, their promised land. And then when the temple was built, it was brought in and set in the temple. But the Ark of the Covenant contained the Ten Commandments. And it was said to contain the Spirit of God. And only the Levites could touch it. Only the high priest could open the Ark of the Covenant. There are stories in Scripture where the enemies would try to take the Ark of the Covenant, but they would die upon touching it or upon opening it. There are either people who were followers of God, but they were not Levites or the high priest. And when they opened it, the presence of God would kill them. It was so powerful that was about the only physical thing the early believers of God would have as a symbol or as a sign of God but yet it wasn't a physical image cuz God is beyond that and he is beyond that but that's hard for some folks to comprehend so with that idea with that idea let's take a look then of what we believe the image of God is. If it's not a physical thing, if it's not a physical thing, then what is our belief in the image of God and how are we made in that image? And what does that mean to be made in the image of God? How do you point that out? How do you show that? How do you recognize that? And how do you share what that is? So let's look at the 26th verse here. It said, God said, Let us make a a man... In our own image. According to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish in the sea. Over the birds of the air. Over the cattle. Over all the earth. Over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Let us make a man in our image. A few things will stand out. That will be pretty much. Huh that sounds interesting. And let's go ahead and let's take a look at one of those. Our image. The plural word. Who's God talking to? Good question. Good question. Some people pick up on that. Some people don't pick up on that. But he is talking to somebody in the plural. There are many different ideas on what that is. But the most prominent idea is that he is referring to the Holy Trinity. Holy Spirit, Jesus, God, us. And some folks will be like, well, he's talking to the angelic beings, the angels. Because this is coming from the creation story. This is how things are created. So this is very early on in creation. So maybe God is up there with the angels and they're having a big planning session of like, what should humans look like? No, because angels are not on the same level of God. They're never us or are with God. God is supreme. It is the Trinity. It is all of Him. All parts of it. And that is what is being referred to. Is that let's make man that can embody the whole Trinity. God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let's see how we can do that. And so when they do this, according to our image, then it starts to kind of get an idea in our head of what this image should be. What does this image look like? What does it do? He created, God created everything we see, nature, the sun, the stars, water, earth, animals, and humans. He created it all. The story of creation is not meant to be taken as a science textbook order of how things are done. That's not the purpose of Genesis. Genesis is the story of creation and God's relationship to creation. The purpose of the Bible is to show us in our connection to God. It's not always meant to be a science textbook. It's a theology book, which is the study of God. And our peace in that. And so with creation here, God created humans in His image. In our image. So we have a special role within creation. We're different than the rest of creation. And anybody can see that. Even a non-Christian, someone who, who rejects the idea of God and rejects the idea of the Bible can see that the human race is different than the rest of creation. And we are. We were designed that way, to be different and not of the same. One thing that makes us different, it says right here, to be made in the image of God, you have dominion over the earth. We have a special purpose to care for this earth, to make decisions that impact this earth. We've been given that gift and that ability to see the world as God can see it. We shared that ability and been given that responsibility. He didn't give it to the horses or to the whales in the ocean or the trees in the field. They don't have dominion over the earth. But we do because we're made in his likeness. And it is an awesome responsibility. So to be made in his image, we've been given this, this authority To manage this earth and creation that God has made. And that's pretty awesome. The other thing that we have with this is that our relationship with God is different than that, than the rest of creation as well. God has given us the ability to make decisions, to make our own mistakes, for better or for worse. We are given this thing called free will. And it's a gift. And we can see though as we look back to the very first humans of Adam and Eve. How the free will and the ability to make decisions didn't always turn out good. But God loved us so that he gave us the ability to make a choice. He wanted a creation that would choose to love him. And not be pre-programmed to do that without any option. Because that's not true love. God chooses to love us. Therefore, he gives us the ability to love or reject him. And that's pretty amazing as well. That is what you see as true love. And so, when we look at this, we have the ability to have personalities, we have the ability to have feelings, emotions, we have the ability to make moral judgment decisions. We've been given this ability because we were made in His likeness. We have that ability to connect to Him in a way that the rest of creation may not be able to. Because we're made in His image. And as Kate said in her children's moment, that does not mean that God has five fingers on one hand, five fingers on the other, and ten toes all together, and two eyeballs, and this and that. Like I said, there's no physical descriptors of God but there are other things that describe the image of God and how we embody that image. We've been given that responsibility to embody that image. Now, as I said, though, we have the ability to make free will, but we also have the ability to make bad decisions. So in verse 27, God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created both male and female but what do we do? How do we, how do we wrestle with this idea that if we are to embody the image, then what, how do we look at sin? How does sin fit into this image of God that we're supposed to have? Because of the decisions that were made back by Adam and Eve in the garden, the image of God within us got distorted a little bit. It never went away. It never went away. But you see, God gave them instructions on a way to live a life that is healthy, forever connected to Him. But He said if you go outside of that, there can be pain. But you have the ability to choose because I love you. Just as some of the parents in here, as your adult children get older in life, you tell them more than likely, well, if you make that decision, it's your decision, you're an adult. But I'm here to tell you It's going to lead down a broken road and a bunch of dead ends. And as an adult child that makes decisions and those parents, they grieve when their adult children make mistakes. They grieve when their young children make mistakes. But yet they allow them to make their own mistakes. Just as God did that for us. So how does sin work into this? How does the distorted image of God work? What is out there? That fixes all of that. And well, we know what the answer is in that. And that's Jesus Christ. It is from the moment of when God spoke about Adam and Eve. And when he realized and they acknowledged that they sinned against him. And there was the serpent that was involved in that. God, to summarize it, told the serpent that the children of Eve will strike your head with their heel. And that you will crawl for the rest of your life. And that's the foreshadow of Jesus Christ and his victory over the serpent, over death, over sin. So from the moment in the garden, God had a plan for Jesus Christ to come and to save us. To do what Adam and Eve could not do. To be in human form, but yet to always live a life that chooses God and love first. And so Jesus comes into the picture to fix the distorted image that Adam and Eve Gave. You see, in Colossians, in the first chapter, 15 verse, 17th verse, Paul says this about Jesus. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Him, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. Whether thorns or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He Himself is above all things, and in Him, all things hold together. He is the image of the invisible God. And in him, all things hold together. And so if you want to see the perfect image of God, you see that in Jesus. If you want to see who fixes the distorted image of God and holds all things in power, that is Jesus. Part God, part human. As I said, humans were made in the image we share a lot of the abilities that God gave us to have these feelings, emotions, to see the world the way He sees it, and to have the ability to make decisions over this earth. So that it only makes sense that when God came to earth, He'd come down as a human, not as anything else, but as a human, because we have that connection to our God from being made in His image. And so with Jesus Christ, what he did, a man without sin, who had no need to die the death that he did, but he did it for us to fix the mistakes that go way back to the garden. And so the quality that we see, the image of God that we saw in Jesus, the image of God that we have been given is that image to share and to give love. Love is the image of God. Love is that image of God. Now, if someone asks you, hey, draw me what love looks like. Just like if I asked you like the beginning of the service, what does the physical God look like? You'll have different things pop up in your head. What love looks like. True, genuine love. The love that the creator would give to his creation, have the ability to have free will. The image of God that we share is the love of the world, the love of God, and the love of others. Love is that image. And so if someone was to tell you the image of God was anything different, would be going against what the Bible tells you. While love sounds like a simple answer, it is a deep answer. There are many ways that you can show that image of God and embody that image of God in your life. Showing love to your neighbor looks different for each and every one of us. Showing love to God, for some folks, means going to worship every Sunday. For some folks, means going on mission trips. Some, some folks, as it's teaching small groups, Bible study, helping out with kids and youth, there are many ways to share and embody that love, that image of God. There are many ways to show that image of love to your neighbors and that is one of the foundational things of our faith is the image of God and that we believe that we are made in that image of God and that image is love and so what we need to do with that is that we need to live a life that goes against any other teaching we need to live a life that says you must do this to earn God's love in a way that's unhealthy To truly love God comes first from the inside of your heart. And then it's the outpouring of emotions and actions afterwards. There's a passage, one of my favorite passages in 1 Samuel, is when when they're there with David and his brothers. And they were going to pick the next king of Israel. And David's brothers were bigger and stronger than he was. David was a little guy. He was a shepherd. He was the youngest one out in the field. But when they went around the pick, when Samuel went around to anoint the next king, he asked for David. And so David was pulled out from his brothers and he said, you will be the next king of Israel after Saul. It shocked everybody for many reasons. But then shortly after that, the writer of 1 Samuel said this. That God judges individuals differently than the world does. The world looks on the outside, but God first looks on the inside. And David had a heart after God. And so God knew that David would be the one to be the next king of Israel. And so, like I said, you must look on the inside first. That's where it starts. And sometimes that's the hardest thing to do and to see. It's easy to do a lot of outside actions and such. But first it starts with the heart. And conditioning it for unconditional love. And then the outpouring of the actions of that. So if you're walking down the street. If you're at the workplace or at the schoolhouse or wherever. And if God showed up. You would look for love. Look for the individual that is showing and giving love. That's how you would see the quote unquote undercover boss in your life. That's how you would notice God's image in your life is through the love and the grace that people share, that they have inside, the love and grace that you have on the inside. That is the special gift that God has given us. That is His image, love. And he gave it to us. And so we need to be prayerfully considering how we would like to use that gift. How can we share that image and that likeness to the world? So may we do that. Let us pray.